You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. It is an honor to be able to share with you, especially if you're visiting for the first time. It's, it's an honor to have you here, or maybe you haven't checked in for a while. Uh, we are starting, we have right in the middle of a series called Beautiful Attitudes. Each week, taking a week to really dig into uh, what, one of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. And uh, so if you have missed out some of those, you can check out on the, on the podcast. You just go into your podcast app, uh, whatever one it is. It will work and look up Elam Belfast. You'll find us on there. But I've personally found the series really challenging to speak in an authentic way. Because every time we, we dig into something like this, the Lord speaks to me about how this impacts my own life. So that when it comes to actually sharing on Sunday, um, I need to, I'm, I'm ready to speak from an authentic place of being deeply challenged. And what I've found is that Christ, through these Beatitudes, is cutting away all of the stuff that we think matters and digging down into what really matters. So when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to show him a copy of your bank balance. Uh, you're not going to be able to show him a, a copy of, of how far you rose in your organization or your reputation, what other people thought. All of that stuff won't matter. What will matter is how meek we are. What will matter is how, how poor in the spirit we are. How, how pure of heart we are. All of these things uh, will matter when we stand before God. And, that, and for me, that's a scary thing. But let's dive in to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 this morning. And we're going to read this aloud together. We're going to get a bit traditional up in here. And so, uh, so you, you're going to come with me on this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Let's read this together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. Got to be pure in heart. Well, I think the key question for me around this question, I want to ask you, it's only the single question today, is how do you become pure? How do you become pure? You know, when I was uh, seven years old, I have this memory, and I just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I am going to be perfect today. <laughs> I'm going to be pure. And I thought to myself, this is the weird, but I thought I'm going to be pure like Noah. Like Noah. I don't know why I didn't think Jesus. That would be the obvious choice. I'm going to be pure like Jesus. No, no, no. I'm going to be pure like Noah because apparently I thought he was a really pure guy. And I thought I could just make that choice, just flick a switch. If I try hard enough, I'm, I'm going to be perfect today. And uh, how many of you know that no seven-year-old boy ever has lasted more than 10 minutes? Especially if you've got an, I had an older sister, I have an older sister, two younger brothers. It's just not, there's nothing. There was so much that could go wrong with that. I wonder if you've ever made that kind of decision, though. Maybe not as naively as that seven-year-old lad, but uh, you, we kind of make that same decision in some ways. I'm just, if I can just try hard enough, if I can just work hard enough, maybe if I just get that new app on my phone, I can, I can be perfect, I can be pure in that area, and, the, and we find out that it's actually not as easy as we thought. And the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, but the question is, well, how? How do you become pure? And it's compounded by the fact that, that, 
there, are, there have been seasons in my life, I wonder if you can relate, where I have thought that I was very pure. I, I, I thought that life was, was, was great, that I was doing really, really well, only to find out later that I just lacked the self-awareness. <laughs> and I've realized that, that not knowing you have a problem is not the same as not having a problem. You've got problems, you just don't know about them. You've got selfishness, you just don't know about them. Self-awareness is a thing. Come on. So how do you become pure of heart? And so maybe I just wonder if if you're in one of these camps this morning. Maybe you're in the camp of like, actually, you know what, Pete? I am. I am pure. I'm fine. No problems. All good. Maybe this, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, this is a great message for those other people, you know, that neighbor that you've got, or husband, wife, children, teenage kids, son-in-law, something like that. You think, oh, oh, this person needs to really listen to this message. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I'm just, I'm not in a great place at all, and I just don't know how. I, I kind of want to be better, but I just don't know how. There's, there's all kinds of things going on deep inside, and I don't know how to set all that to one side and make selfless decisions. Or maybe like me, you flip between those two camps. Sometimes you're full of faith. You think, you know what, I'm pure. Life is great. I'm totally in control. Victory of Jesus. Uh, I'm a fine, upstanding citizen. And other times you're overwhelmed by how far you have to go. Wherever you're at this morning, I believe the Bible has some next steps, ways you can move towards God in a new way, in a new purity. So if you're asking that question, how do you become pure? Just got a couple of thoughts for you this morning. The first one is it's basic, but it's really, really key, and it's probably not how most people were raised in this room. But the first way is this purity comes from Jesus. We choose Jesus. Jesus gives you his purity. I don't know if you um, know about these things, and if you had one of these rings, then, uh, then I sincerely apologize. I'm not making fun of you. But when I was, when I was a teenager, uh, purity rings were a thing. A father would tend, have the tendency to care more about his daughter's purity than his son's, and so girls tended to wear these rings. I don't know. There was a hypocrisy there, but... Uh, but but girls would wear these rings, and the idea was that if you're wearing the ring, you stay pure, because it kind of empowers you to try harder, to do more, to stay pure sexually mostly, but, uh, but in other areas too. And so the idea was that your purity came from something that was not Christ. But the Bible does not talk about purity like that. The Bible says you can't earn purity. You can't lay hold to it. Trying hard will not get you there. The Bible says that Jesus gives you his purity because the Christian message is that whether we know it or not, we're all scarred by something called sin and it manifests as pain, as brokenness, as dysfunction. And all of this is visible in our lives from a really young age. We cannot escape it. The Bible says we're slaves to it. You might think of uh, the struggle like this. Struggle to be pure is that if we were all to have a swimming competition, go down to New Brighton Beach and have a swimming competition to Australia, <laughs> right? There are going to be some good swimmers in this room. Not me. I'm drowning quick. I'll, I might make it 300 meters off the shore if I'm lucky. But everyone's going to fail that test. 
Some might make it further than others, but everybody is going to fail that test. And so it is with sin in our lives. Nobody is pure. And the price of our impurity before God is death. It's death. Somebody asked one time, uh, what kind of death? And the answer is all death. Death comes in lots of different forms. Death comes in the form of spiritual death, which is the death of our relationship with God. As humans, we were made to have closeness with God. Genesis 1 says that we're to walk in the garden with God. We're to have closeness with God. But spiritual death comes in and puts a barrier. It's a natural barrier because God is a holy God and we are not. And so that immediately separates us. And so we die spiritually, slowly, over time. We die spiritually. There's the death of our humanity. God created us as humans to resemble Jesus Christ. We're to have this great godly humanity about us. And, and something, some parts of that die. We're supposed to have fun and run in fields and have children that grow up with great relationships with their parents. And, and goodness is supposed to flow down through the generations. And the land is supposed to produce more than we need. And nobody has to live in poverty. And, and we're supposed to have this humanity about us that, that is just joyful. But that part of that dies and we become insecure and anxious and isolated and greedy, and that is all less than what God created us to be. And then there's the physical death, the death where we are no more. And so God sent his son from heaven to earth to live the perfect, pure life that we can't live, but we need. To die a death of crucifixion so that the death that lived over us as a curse might be lifted off us and placed on Christ. And so we get the curse of death lifted off, and what we get in exchange is his purity. It covers us like a cloak. It's not, it's not a false purity. It's true purity. So when you stand before God, God does not see any of the other stuff. It's all been taken away. And you stand in his purity. The criminal record is gone, and the debt is paid, and Brokenness is gone, 100%, pure. This is why Jesus had such strong words to say about people who pretended to have purity, but were just working really hard. And in a sense, they were telling people, hey, if you work as hard as I work, you can be pure too. That's what their lives were telling. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I've got some words for you. This is what he said. It's crazy. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, he says, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of a cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Doesn't that metaphor just translate so well for us today? Like you've got a cup full of like slime and sludge, but you've polished the outside of the cup. Jesus is saying your big issue is you're trying to be pure on your own and you'll never find it on your own by following rules. You find it by choosing to follow Jesus. He gives you his purity, and no one can take that away from you. An illustration is, is this, is that Sarah and I, we've got a will. And uh, at the bottom of the will, it tells us uh, we, we have to write the names of our children. 
it says how the estate is to be divided up. So we've got the names of our kids there, and at the bottom of, of, the, of those children that we know about, uh, so I'm going to rephrase that. There, <laughs> there are no children that I do not know about, just want to be clear. Gee, that was a shocker. I'm trying to rephrase it. Okay, below, below the names of the children that currently exist in the present, right? We're talking about future. Yeah. Uh, is a phrase that says the will covers any future children. All right, so you don't have to remake your will if you have a baby. And so it says that the will, the inheritance, covers any future children. So imagine for me a moment when uh, Sarah and I were to adopt a, a child. And imagine it's, it's as simple as simply offering the child the opportunity to join the family. Imagine it's, it's just simply that that's as simple as it is. So the child says yes to joining the family. And as soon as they accept the invitation, they become a co-inheritor legally in the will. As soon as they accept, they don't have to behave well when they get back to our house. They don't even have to be a nice person. They don't have to carry the heart of the father. They don't, have to, they don't even have to behave with their brothers. They simply are a co-inheritor legally because their name is now included as any future children. They would legally have an equal share of the inheritance. And so it is with Christ. The Bible says we've been adopted into his family. We now have an inheritance. We have a purity that has been placed over our lives that does not depend on how good we are. The choices that we make. I really feel like this is freeing for some people because you've grown up in this, in this purity culture and people kind of devalued you because your choices were not good choices at that season of life. And you didn't make great choices. And, and somehow you've grown up with this and you've felt that, that maybe, maybe you're there's a, a lack of purity that still exists over your life, but I'm saying no. As soon as you accept Christ, old is gone, new has come. There is a purity that now exists, whether you behave or not. But that's the first half. And the second thought for you today is, what does it mean to be pure of heart? Is to journey with Christ. Is to journey with Jesus. Because purity is found in choosing Jesus, but it is also found in journeying with him. And there's this interesting relationship between the two things. They don't cancel each other out. We get purity by choosing Christ. But to take the analogy of adoption, if we were to adopt a child, then they would become a co-inheritor immediately and legally according to our will. But for the child to really carry my heart as a father to really carry the, the, the sense of who we are as a family, to carry something of, of my parents and their parents in their life and in their behavior, for, for them to do that, that would be a journey that takes a long time. That would take years. 
And so the, so, so the theology we're talking about here is that we're justified once. We're justified once, declared pure once, but we are slowly being sanctified through our journey with Jesus. And these things, they coexist right alongside each other. We are, in the same way, we are made pure once and are also being made pure at the same time. It's, it's a, both a one-off and a journey. And so the fact that you're working out what it means to be patient instead of easily triggered does not exclude you from purity of heart. You're on the journey, and you're on the journey that Christ is leading you in. The fact that you have something in your life that you know is wrong, and it keeps temptation keeps popping up, and sometimes you're successful in beating that temptation, but other times you're not. The fact that that thing exists in your life does not exclude you from purity. It's simply an invitation to keep walking the journey with Jesus. You're on a journey. You're not where you used to be, and Jesus is leading you. Imagine for me an 80-year-old. I picked 80 because it's a standard age that just pops into my head. You can imagine 90 if you'd like. But an elderly Christian, and they've journeyed with God since they were 20 or so, and they've journeyed with God for 60 years. They've journeyed long enough with Jesus to have suffered loss and to know what it means to persevere. They've served long enough with Jesus to have seen miracles through faithful prayer and to have captured a passion for faithful prayer week after week after week. This person in in your mind is not surprised much anymore by anything because they've seen enough of the world to know the impact uh, and the struggles people have with power, with money, with sex, with relational breakdowns, with everything. And they're at peace with themselves. And with others. You've got that person in your mind, and imagine sitting that, that person sitting down with a young Christian. A young Christian who's struggling with purity in some area, and they're not seeing instant results. They're seeing slow results. And they're struggling with the fact that results are not instant. What does the elderly person say in that conversation? Well, At first, they're probably not going to say anything and just go and fetch the biscuits and a cup of tea and just be be in that moment with the person. But eventually in the conversation, they're going to say something along the lines of, it's a journey. Give the struggle to Jesus. He will be enough for you. You know, the young person is really worried and anxious about the lack of breakthrough, but the older, older person isn't. They understand that with Jesus, it's a journey that things take time, lasting change can be slower than you'd like. They'll probably just say something very simple, like just give it to Jesus. Because when you're in Jesus, moral failure is not a removal of your purity, but a part of the journey where Jesus is teaching you. Moral failure becomes a learning experience and not a removal of his grace or his love. And so God's call to purity when we're on the journey becomes adopting into our lives things that actually just help us journey with Jesus better. Not because we're trying to earn uh, prayer points or, or good points. We're not trying to earn position with God. We're just simply 
understand that there are things that you and I can do in our lives, things we can fill our lives with or exclude from our lives, which actually help us spiritually. That's why some people put things on their phone which restrict uh, screen time after a certain time. It's not because they're trying to earn points or trying to just really work hard to be pure. It's because they just understand that it's just a tool something that helps them draw closer to Jesus. It's why some people uh, limit the alcohol that they consume. Not because there's any rule against drinking, but because it is something that can harm your spiritual life. Often does if you drink too much. That's why some people exercise daily. Because they find themselves, if I was just to run each morning, if I was just to run four times a week, I'm sharper spiritually. Maybe it's an experience that as you're running, you're disturbed to pray, and so you just start to pray out loud just as you're running around the block. And so you choose to do it daily. Maybe, um, and this is, I'm not going to say maybe, prayer is a way to connect with God. And so we pray daily. And maybe uh, for you it might look like uh, having a list of prayer points on, on a little piece of paper, and you just pray through them each. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a case of putting on a particular song and you just pray to the length of the song. These are not things that we do to try and earn points. These are just things that help us journey with Christ. And small groups, for me, is one of those things. And for us as a church, it's something we've chosen. We're going to commune in this place. There's something about attending a small group that I don't do because it's the right thing to do. I do because I, my faith needs it. To, to enter a place where encouragement exists, where people can remind and encourage and rebuke and love. And I understand that the only way to actually have those types of relationships is to intentionally enter them. Now, Paul says this to Timothy about small groups. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. The context of youthful lust is actually different to how it would be today. Uh, youthful lust at this point is arrogance and pride and wanting to win arguments in the context, um, just as an aside. But it says, instead, pure, righteous, uh, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And if you're not in a small group, I just want to encourage you, pull out a card, one in front of you. If you're a guy, you're welcome to join ours. We meet on a Monday night. Well, as we close and just invite the keys to come, one of my youth leaders when I was a teenager was a guy called Dave. And Dave, like all good uh, youth leaders, knew he knew that the, we were having struggles in key areas. He knew that there were issues in my life, things that did not line up with the Christian faith. But I was blessed to have Dave in my life because he always treated me as if I was pure in Christ and on the journey. I was so blessed not to have been judged or told to follow the rules better, work harder. I don't remember ever being made to feel like the presence of sin in my world compromised my value in some way. When I look back, I see just a totally biblical view of purity. One that says you are accepted in Christ as you are. You are declared pure because he has made you clean. But that view 
says, well, you're clean before God, but you still gossip, right? That view for you might say you're clean before God, but you're still tempted with substance abuse. You still struggle with relationship breakdown and you feel that the key and the thing behind that struggle with your relationships is selfishness. And all of the host of things that we struggle with, we're declared pure, but we still struggle with these things. Purity is being declared pure while you're on the journey to wholeness. So I want to ask you today, what is God saying to you? Do you need to accept grace for yourself in some area? Maybe there's an area for you that's out of line and you just need to accept grace for it. You just need to understand that that God's favor is on you. His blessing is for you. He walks alongside you and he gives you grace. Accept that Jesus loves you just as you are and calls you pure as you are. Do you need to accept grace for yourself? Or maybe you need to go on the journey in some area. Maybe there's an area that is out of line and you've been tucking it away in the back of your mind and not really admitting that it's out of line. Maybe something does need to change. And that thing that needs to change is not so that you might one day wake up and be totally pure before God because we know you already are, but because it's the thing that is holding you back on your journey towards Jesus. You need to go on the journey in some area. You need to give that part of your life to Jesus so he could lead you in purity, not in trying to be better, but because Jesus has more for you. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.